prevention and lifestyle should be uh, the primary goal in every treatment plan, right? That, or the initial goal, um, initial part, right? So anytime I'm talking about a chronic lifestyle disease like hypertension or high blood pressure or diabetes, uh, obesity, heart disease, um, certain cancers, um, the number one thing should be what is the patient's lifestyle? What do we need to fix so that we can try to halt the problem and to fix the problem? And then what medications do we need potentially to assist us while we're in the process of changing the lifestyle? So I don't think it's removing anything. And so that's what we have started to do a little bit of is introducing the lifestyle medicine into certain cases in the medical school curriculum. So rather than having a lecture specifically on nutrition or physical activity, it's putting those pieces into the treatment plan when we're talking about a case. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ. One of our earliest missions with Yogi Triathlete was to spread awareness that living a more vibrant life is within reach for all. And I think we can all agree that our general nutrition plays a large role in the vibrancy of our life. After all, what we put in us becomes us. So needless to say, we're super excited to be having a conversation with yet another spectacular physician from Plant-Based Telehealth, Dr. Amy Zacharias is a board-certified family and lifestyle medicine physician who realized that the most important aspect of her job was to assist her patients in preventing disease. As she opened to this mindset, she realized that it was not just food, but other lifestyle components that equal a healthy life, and today finds great interest when working with patients to reach their ideal weight and athletes to reach peak performance by following a whole food plant-based diet. We could not love the latter part of that statement more. Uh, we can't wait to dive into the, these two topics and more. Dr. Zacharias, a welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, we get really excited about talking to each one of you. You all have your unique stories and journeys and passions. And and I think the collective of plant-based health couldn't be more of what the world needs right now, whether people realize it or not. But to have all these specialties and all these unique journeys coming together as one, you know, think tank um, of healing and realizing that it's, you know, there's a huge shift, I think, and, and I'd like your take on it, a huge shift in, in the paradigm of medicine that it's not waiting for the, dis the disease or the illness to present to treat it, but that we're getting out ahead of it. Right. There's so many more physicians now, I think, that are focusing on prevention. When I first started um, learning about lifestyle medicine, there weren't that many physicians at the conferences, but now there's thousands of physicians worldwide, really, that's interested in lifestyle medicine. So that's so great to see that happening. Um, it definitely is changing. Yeah. And I think I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, we the the basis of of the business that we have is you know it's not one thing it's not just running and it's not just triathlon right. it's everything it's how we relate to those around us it's how we relate to circumstances in our life it's our mental nutrition it's our physical nutrition it's moving the body it's resting the body like it's not just one thing this this body that we live in is is a complicated intelligent system that um, I think warrants a symphony of good habits in order for it to find its balance 
and and right. run efficiently. Right. Yeah, we can follow the perfect diet, but if we're not sleeping well or um, not moving our body, we're just not going to be healthy. Um, so that's what I found missing with traditional medicine is we were treating uh, an illness with a medication, but we weren't fixing all the other things that led to that problem. Um, so we never were really getting at the root of the problem. So um, that's why I think lifestyle medicine is so important. Well, take us back to your journey, because I know you grew up on a farm, right, in Illinois? I did. Yeah, I so did. take us back. I, I, wanted, I love these stories. Yeah, I love yeah. the stories. Yeah. Um, and yeah, tell us what kind of farm and, and what that was like. Yeah, so I grew up in central Illinois. Um, I actually live only about an hour from where I grew up currently also. So I'm still in Illinois, in central Illinois. Um, so I grew up on a small farm, and we raised cattle. Uh, we had some other animals as well. We had rabbits and sheep, not on our farm, but on my grandparents' farm. So I was involved in 4-H, and we showed the animals at the fair every summer. Um, and uh, my father farmed. Uh, so he farmed soybeans and corn. And so I was often found in the field late at night waiting for my dad to finish the farm work and then coming home. Um, so, you know, traditional farm life, um, small town, small school. Uh, so everybody kind of did the same thing, grew up eating the traditional meat and potatoes. Um, it was very unusual to see somebody as a vegetarian or something like that, even in our school. Um, so there was always a meat option at lunch, uh, never anything else actually. Uh, so, um, really interesting when I, when I look back at where I grew up and, and how I live now, it's very different. So. So you yeah. said you raised cattle, like, did you raise cattle and then a truck came by and picked the cattle up and took them away? It, like, did you raise them or, or did you? We, we did raise cattle for, for, for people to eat. Yes. Um, we did not have that many cattle. It was more for, um, for the fair every year. So we had a few cattle. We didn't have a large, um, herd of cattle or anything like that. Just a few. Um, but they were considered like beef cattle, not dairy cattle. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Did you have so a... So that's, that's what it was. Um, and, and I actually ended up turning into a vegetarian by the end of my high school uh, years because I was raising these cattle and they became my friends because I would have to train them for the fair, right? So we would lead them around every day and they became very gentle giants and kind of, you know, my friend. And so we would, we would sell them at the fair and I, I had names for my cows. And uh, so I came to the point where I was like, why, why are we eating this animal? Um, it was very unusual to me. And once I started kind of thinking through what was actually happening, because I think when you're in it, you don't really even stop. A lot of people don't stop and think, um, where their food is coming from and, and what they're actually eating. Um, it's just normal, right? It, it seems like, um, especially where I was raised, it was just normal to eat cattle. Um, and now I think about it and I think it's just so awful and just so interesting that that's what we learned. Um, so, so yes, I became a vegetarian by the end of my high school years. I was also, uh, into almost every sport there was in, in high school. And so I was very concerned about my own fitness level and nutrition and, um, maintaining a healthy weight as most girls are at that age. And so becoming a vegetarian kind of helped that as well. So, um, so I was probably a vegetarian into my college years until I met my husband <laughs> and then things changed a little bit. 
that as well because he was not um, vegetarian. And so uh, I slowly changed back to my old ways and then gradually over the years um, then converted to a plant-based, 100% plant-based diet. So it's been quite a journey for me, for sure. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah. Right. It's not perfect. We see not you as the all. doctor you are now and we're like, oh my God, she's got it all together. But I love these. <laughs> we probably do have it together. But I think going, <laughs> going, well, thank you. Not looking, every day. <laughs> yeah. Not every day. But looking back, like it's such an, it's such a, it gives you permission, right? Like you're not sentenced to being in the, the, that 4-H um, industry. You're not sentenced to being vegetarian. Like you can ebb and flow and keep finding what, what right. you connect with. And I think that's that a little bit of flexibility, but always being on to what habits have you created that are so strong that you're not even thinking about them. They're just like, right. They just come so natural. Right. Yeah. I think the good thing um, is I do understand where my patients are coming from. So especially um, when I was practicing locally, now I am just doing telemedicine. Um, but when I was practicing locally, it, it helped me understand where my patients were coming from and how, why it was so difficult for them to even consider a plant-based diet. It's just so ingrained in you that the way you were raised and what you were fed when you were raised, it's just, it, it's so ingrained in you. It's so hard to change. Um, and then often when your family was raised that way as well. And so then often I'll have a patient who wants to change, but it's so hard to change because the rest of the family doesn't want to change. And that's a really difficult thing then um, to get them to change um, and to go through that so often alone. So Yeah. How do you support them to do that? I think that's a really common thing, you know, where one person in the family may not be the head of the household, maybe the head of the household, maybe the person that's done go doing the shopping, but, you know, wants to take care of their family and then they end up making all these different meals. And so how do you guide them yeah. with that? To Yeah. So it's easy for me to guide them because I lived it. Um, my husband actually did not convert to plant-based until more recently, actually. So I've spent many years of uh, feeding four children and a husband who also did not want to um, go plant-based. And I, I'm of the belief, I know Dr. Marbus, who um, founded Plant-Based Telehealth, she converted our family overnight and said, this is how it is. Well, she also was military trained. <laughs> and I apparently missed out on that training because I'm a little more gentle. And I feel like a person really has to want to change um, for it to really work well. And so I did not convert my entire family when I decided to change. And so um, I found ways to make it easier for our family. And I have been working um, for the most part full-time the whole journey. And so what I try to teach them is just tips and tricks to make it a little easier at dinner time. So whether it's making tacos and having um, the meat portion maybe for the rest of the family and having beans or lentils or just veggie tacos for yourself. So um, combining meals where there's a lot of similarities in the meal um, and just making vegetables potentially the predominant portion of the meal and meat the side dish more so rather than always centering the meal around the meat. Um, so I think that can help. And I do think that a lot of times families will slowly transition or at, at least learn the healthy aspects of it. Um, for instance, so I have four kids um, and one uh, just went away to college this year. I have another one that's just finishing college, but one just went away this year. So she's um, 19 now. And she, her comment when she came home for Christmas break was that she wanted, I asked her what she wanted to eat for dinner and she wanted some broccoli 
that wasn't coated in oil and completely fried. And so I do know that I've made an impact on her because she never would have asked for broccoli when she was 16, for sure. So um, I think it's over time, people do start to develop healthier habits when they're surrounded by it. So um, yeah, so I just kind of encourage um, introducing it more around the house, having healthy snacks available, maybe getting some of the junk out of the house and not having so much of that around. So yeah, I think it's uh, just small things that you can do to help your family transition as well. So the the wanting to change, I like how you, you mentioned that the wanting someone needs to want to change. And I'm sure you see people who, who want to change, but then you deliver the information on how to make that change. And, and that's when possibly they get all fired up and they're going to make the change. And then it slowly starts to Mm-hmm. to go back into that strong habit that they built. So how do you, someone who's, who really wants it, but then they, they struggle a little bit. I think it's keeping the why in the forefront of your mind always. So why is it that you actually do want to change? And it has to be a pretty important why. Um, for a lot of people, their superficial reason is they want to look better, but often it's really more they want to feel better and they want to be able to be active and do the things that they love to do. So if you ask someone what they loved to do when they were young, um, and maybe they were in shape at that time, uh, maybe somebody says, well, I love to go on bike rides, but I can't ride a bike anymore. Or I don't feel safe on a bike because you know, um, they're not able to ride a bike anymore. So keeping the why in the forefront, really getting actually at the root of what is it that, why is it that you want to feel better? Um, It's not often just that they want to look better. That's kind of the superficial reason usually. um, And that's what people think, but it's really not, not the truth. And then I think too, having people slow down and, um, you know, I used to be a person that craved chocolate a lot. I, converted to whole food plant-based, but every once in a while I'd have that little treat at the end of the day because I thought I had earned it. Um, And I I finally got to the point where I was like, why am I having this? Um, Does it make me feel better? Uh, It tastes good for a moment. Um, And then it doesn't really taste good after that. In fact, a lot of times I felt guilty or questioned, why did I do that? And so I think it's also having people slow down and be mindful and become aware of why they're actually doing some of the things they're doing. Because sometimes they don't even realize why they're doing the things that they're doing, uh, why they're snacking on certain things. Um, And then when they do realize why they're snacking on certain things, they can um, change that behavior, I think, um, into something healthier. Um, so maybe after, you know, in the evening, a lot of times it's habit, it's habit to have dessert or it's habit to go get that scoop of ice cream, um, while you're sitting on the couch watching TV and maybe it's changing that habit into something healthier or understanding why you have that habit. Are you bored? Are you tired? Were you overworked during the day? Did you not find happiness during the day? And you're choosing that to, to substitute for that. So, or are you just tired and then is it time to go to bed and to lay down and get some rest? So, um, I think it's, you know, a couple different things, becoming aware of the why um, and putting that at the forefront every time you start to slip back into your old ways. Is that going to help me get closer to my why and to, to my reason? Um, and likely the answer is no, some of those bad habits. And so that often will stop people um, when they do that and then questioning, you know, what is it that's causing them to do that and to hopefully fix that. So. Slowing down. Slowing down is a big one yeah, because slowing, slowing yeah, slowing down allows us to see 
those actions we're taking or those thought forms that we're, we're indulging, um, because without the slowing down, we're just in that, we're, we're in the brilliance of those automatic behaviors of, you know, the body and the brain. Do you have um, practices that have worked for you for slowing down or practices that you've seen really effective for your patients? Because people will say, oh, well, yeah, that's great. What am I supposed to do, work less? But I think it's <laughs> different than there's a slowing down that says, okay, let's let's not overcommit the calendar, but there's a slowing down that can happen within all of the things of our on our calendar. Yeah, I would say it's because um, you're right. I think it's great for those of us who can step back from work and take a little break, maybe go part time or take a few more less hours. It's great if you can do that, but not a lot of people can't do that. Um, and I see that often in patients. So um, it's finding moments in your day where you can actually stop. And it can it can be just as simple as a minute or two of closing your eyes, taking a couple deep breaths, recentering and calming yourself down and, and thinking through the moment. Um, you know, whether it's you're getting stressed out about something, um, stopping for a moment, recentering, just quieting your brain and thinking through what's happening. Um, I think that that can really help because you can do that anywhere. Um, you can, you can do that when you're with someone, they don't even notice what you're doing. So I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I think gratitude journals are great at the end of the day. You know, if you write down some things that you were grateful for for the day or that brought you happiness, um, that can help towards the end of the day. And even starting your day with something like that can be wonderful. I find it's easier said than done, though, myself even. It's not a habit. Um, but I think it it can be a great tool for those who can get into the habit of doing that. So, yeah, those are probably the things I recommend most. I think the the writing of the gratitude, you know, increases the focus, but even, you know, just even lying in bed, right? On those nights that you're like, oh, I'm too tired to take the journal out, just lying in bed. And, and I love to go to sleep just thanking, you know, the universe or whatever for my day, for all the challenges. Thank you for, you know, the breath. Thank you for all the nutrition. Thank you for the moments of ease. And then every single night I'm falling asleep in that. Like that doesn't keep right. me up. That that calms me and puts me in a space where where I, I drift off to sleep. So Definitely. if you aren't, if you don't feel like you're open to journaling or writing it down, you can also just do it with your thoughts, which is also a form of deliberate focus, which I think helps us relate a little bit with with more clarity to our thoughts, right? And and right. that will that right. will carry throughout our days. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, well, that, I don't know if, where you wanted to go with this, but moving in with athletes too, like trying to slow down as an athlete. I mean, I guess, I think your kids are active as well. And, the, yep. the, and you're, you were an athlete. So moving fast and getting to that next thing, I got to eat to get the trip to practice, to get to the, you know, to get fit and strong and then get home, got to do my homework. And, and I think the slowing down as an athlete, um, is, is, super challenging, you know, I'll speak from personal experience, because if you're not moving forward or going faster, you, you have this belief that you don't, that you're not, you know, getting fitter or stronger. You, you believe right, that right. you're, you're slowing, you're not doing what you need to do. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Most of my experiences with my children, very active um, kids for sure. So my oldest son um, runs division one across country and track at the Air Force Academy. And then um, my daughter ran uh, high school track. And then I have um, a freshman that's running track right now. And then a sixth grader that's running track as well. So um, they're all very active and busy. And that's what I see most with the athletes, especially high school is they don't All they're focused on is the activity, the exercise. They're not focused on their diet. They're not focused on their sleep, um, that restoration that they really need. And I'm, it's so disappointing to me because I think if I could just, if you would just listen to me and, and eat better and sleep more, like I hear my freshmen on the phone still at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm thinking you have practice tomorrow. You need to get up and go to school and you would feel so much better running after school if you would only go to sleep. <laughs> so, um, and eat a plant-based diet, but, um, they still don't think mom who's a physician knows, uh, better. So <laughs> you've got two credentials. I struggle mom with them. <laughs> I, yes, I still struggle with all of them, uh, with eating better. Actually, my, my youngest eats, um, probably the best actually. So she's trying to get fit and be healthy. Um, so she's, she's, I would say 90% plant-based. So what do you think the benefits, Uh, the benefits are for athletes? Um, obviously that's predominantly our community, uh, pretty much everyone that's going to listen to this. And if they don't self-identify as athletes, um, you know, they're into health and fitness and wellness or yoga or meditation, mindset training, things like that. What are, what do you feel athlete specific benefits of eating a whole food plant-based diet? Well, for sure, the energy, um, so much more energy, light on your feet, uh, just not feeling weighed down. Um, so I think I noticed when I converted to hundred percent plant-based and then no oil is a huge thing. I think there are a lot of people who are plant-based that still eat a lot of oil. And, um, I just removed that like two years ago. And that's when I noticed the huge difference in how I felt and how I performed myself. And so um, energy, I think, is one of the biggest things. But then the other biggest thing, I think, is recovery Um, and getting up the next morning feeling great still, not having the joint pain, the stiffness, feeling tired. Um, So almost always being ready and being feeling energized because you're recovering so much easier when you're eating plant-based. So I think those are probably the two biggest things. Um, Clearing your mind as well. I do think that uh, like mental clarity, um, the anxiety too, I feel like that's all improved when you're following a whole food plant-based diet. So I think it, it all comes together um, when you start eating that way. I like, um, I'm glad that you brought up oil. <laughs> I have to say, I feel like, I mean, this is kind of an extreme comparison, but I almost feel like letting go of oil um, and we completely removed it a little over a year ago. And then we've, we've added it back in, like, we don't buy it. I don't cook with it, but like, there's like our favorite hummus. That's like this sprouted garbanzo bean sure. hummus <laughs> and it's got oil in it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not willing to live without this yet. hummus uh-huh. yet. <laughs> yes. Um, and then there's things that we do with like the vegan pesto we get at Trader Joe's. We mix it in with edamame and then another whole mm-hmm. thing of, basil to kind of cut down on the oil, increase the the fiber, all that good stuff. But I almost want to say that the difference I felt with dropping oil was very comparative. And it was so long ago, but to the difference I felt when I dropped dairy. 
I agree. Like I, there I think was, it's, it's inflammation. It's yeah. Inflammation there was a heaviness that lifted and also uh-huh. another couple of pounds that fell off, which I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily, I'm not looking for weight loss, but I definitely attribute that to, as Neil Barnard said, like the glug, glug, glug. I was totally glugging, right. glugging that oil yes. all over our food. Um, yeah. So why, so, yeah, What it, talk to us about oil. Well, I was just going to say, so for me, I um, removed oil from my diet about two years ago. And I was probably plant-based um, at least since probably 2016, almost 100% since then. Um, but just oil-free the last two years. And I, so I'm, a, you know, middle age. <laughs> Nobody can see me, but uh, in that age group where women really struggle with weight, I feel like, especially if you have had some pregnancies, the weight kind of slowly creeps on. And even though I was plant-based and even before then I was very healthy, I exercised often and I ate really healthy, lots of fruits and vegetables, minimal meat. Um, and when I went oil-free, I lost 20 pounds, like not even doing anything different which was absolutely shocking and crazy to me. I could not lose any weight on a whole food plant-based diet before that. I didn't lose any weight um, going from uh, eating a healthy standard American diet, meaning like mostly fruits and vegetables, a little bit of chicken, um, very rarely red meat, like way before then, right? I, I didn't lose any weight. So it was shocking to me. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing now for for patients of mine that are this age and trying to lose weight. It's the, it's the oil. There's so many calories in oil. Um, and it adds up so quickly. So when you're cooking with it and you're getting it in your foods already, especially if you're still eating meat based or, um, animal based and eating meats and dairy, uh, you're getting so much oil and so many calories from that. And now I can eat so much more and I feel so much more satisfied all the time. And I don't have to watch what I eat at all. I don't counter anything. Um, and I've maintained the weight loss without any effort whatsoever. Um, and I would say I exercise less now than I ever did before. Now I'm active. Um, I stay active because I know that that's good for me. But before I worked out because I thought I needed to work out to lose weight, which never worked. Um, so now I'm just active because I like to be active. Um, and it's it's not the exercise, of course, that helps with the weight loss. So much, has there so. been has there been a, sh- a shift in your happiness factor? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think the fact that I don't have to stress or worry about gaining weight and, you know, trying to lose weight all the time. I feel like so many women are overwhelmed by not liking the way they look and they're they're stressed about that all the time. And should I eat this or should I eat that? And should I follow this diet or that diet next? And um, just taking all that away has been just such a relief not to have to worry about any of that and to and to feel better because I feel better all the time. Um, so yeah, I think that's Big the, difference. that's the, I mean, we all want to feel better. I think that's at the end of this conversation, right. And you talked about it before right. too. Like we just want to, we just want to feel better throughout the whole day. And the more we can feel better, the, the, the better, um, we're going to perform, the better we're going to communicate, the better, you know, the vibration we're going to put off, um, in our communities. Um, did you replace oil with anything or did you just, just go cold Turkey with, um, with, with oil? You know, if someone's transitioning. Um, I, I did not replace it with anything, I believe. I just kind of went cold turkey. Um, I took a, several different cooking classes um, to kind of learn how to do it myself. I did the Ruby online professional plant-based cooking course. I did the T. Colin Campbell um, cooking. Um, and I just cooked with 
broth or water um, sautéed. Now I use my air fryer a lot. I didn't have that in the beginning, but I use that quite often <laughs> as well. Um, so yeah, I think I just went cold turkey. Now I will say that, um, like like you said, like if there's hummus, like if I go out to eat, I went out to eat last week and I'm in central Illinois. We have zero vegan restaurants in the city that I live in. And I'm not exaggerating. Um, there is a, one or two restaurants I can go to and ask them to create something for me. But, um, you know, so I went out to eat last week with friends um, and my husband and I chose the hummus platter with veggies because that's pretty much all there was. So I do get oil in my day here and there. Um, if I'm cooking myself, I never put it in, but, um, you know, I'll eat a hummus here and there that probably has oil in it or, um, maybe a pesto, but I try not to use it at all myself. So, and I'll use tahini still. So if I make homemade hummus, I'll use tahini, um, or sometimes for a salad dressing. And I still use like cashews. Um, I try to minimize it a little bit because I do think that nuts and nut butters for sure add to weight gain for women, um, and so I try to minimize that in my diet um, as well. But yeah, so I recently shifted over. Well, not recently. I don't know. Maybe within the last year, from like almond butter to sunflower seed butter, which okay. tends to, I think, just I don't feel as much. Well, and also self regulation. That's a big one. Not bringing the jar. Probably don't crave it as much. Yeah, too. like not bringing the jar with me, you know, <laughs> over the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But sunflower seed butter, I, I do like that. And then, of course, a little bit of that self-regulation. But I love this permission. Again, not about it doesn't have to be perfect. But mm-hmm. right. if you can remove the cooking with oil, if that's you'll see how much you rely on it. But I found I thought the transition was super easy. And I had heard, mm-hmm. you know, over the years, like a little bit of vegetable broth or so I like to just get the skillet really hot, put the broccoli in, like get it almost like it's dancing, you know, it's so hot. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit right. of water and it just steams up so gorgeous and vibrant. And then it's right. done. And it tastes better, actually. Yeah. I think and I do think that it takes time to convert your taste preference. Um so in the beginning, I think do, people do miss the oil a little bit, but eventually I get to, I got to the point where I actually don't like the taste of oils. Um, but it takes time. I don't, I don't think that's an overnight thing for sure. Um, and with the nut butters, I think it depends on your activity level too, right? So if, if I was a triathlete like you, which I am not currently, um, then I would probably eat more nut butter, you know? So I think it depends on your level of activity, um, and what your body needs. Um, so if, if you're more of an average activity person, you're probably not going to be able to eat as much nut butter without weight gains. Whereas if you're a triathlete or a marathon runner or, you know, some of those distance runners, things like that, you're probably going to need nut butter or you're going to be dropping too much weight. So, um, I I definitely think it depends on that is one of the healthiest uh, fats you can eat. And so, and same with avocado, like I'll eat avocado. I probably don't eat it as much as I would if I was 30. Um, but yeah. yeah. What do you have? Let's talk about um, staying on this theme of weight loss because athletes too, like athletes are, you know, they're wanting to get to race weight. They're trying to figure out what race weight is um, or people who are going through life transformation, you know, who may need to shed 50, 75, a hundred pounds, you know, that triathlon and, and also distance running and things, but I maybe because I'm more familiar with triathlon, 
I feel like it's this entryway and for people to really go through this massive transformation. It, it just seems to be something that people have done. So we're talking about weight loss, but something that we've seen is on the journey to weight loss, like people aren't eating enough and that's not helping. So do you see that or what's your experience with that and what kind of knowledge can you share? I definitely think that um, people don't eat enough of the right things. And and so they'll eat, if they eat too many breads and pastas and things like that, they'll feel like they need to restrict. Um, and they need to focus on eating more of the right things. So I think eating whole food. So, you know, breads and pastas are not necessarily whole food. So if we're really talking about eating a whole food plant-based diet, that means whole foods. And so I think... You know, if somebody's trying to lose a lot of weight and they're still including a lot of breads in their diet or a lot of tortillas and a lot of pastas and things like that, they're probably not going to see the weight loss that they want to see. And they're going to feel like they need to restrict to see the weight loss start because it it still is calories in and calories out at the end of the day, right? Um, Your body definitely responds very differently to different foods. um, And there is a big difference there. But I have seen... Um, you know, patients where they want to lose weight and they convert to what they think is a whole food plant-based diet. And it might be vegan, but it's not necessarily whole food plant-based. And so to get that weight loss started, they really have to go back to the whole foods. And that kind of, that's same, same with bringing in like nut butters, which is not technically whole any longer. We've processed it somewhat. And so I think um, when you're looking at someone who really does need to lose weight and wants to lose weight and maybe isn't, is looking at the diet a little closer to see what is it that they're actually eating? Is it whole food? Um, And if not, introducing more of the whole foods. And then they can usually eat a lot more. Um, and need to eat a lot more to feel full um, and to not see weight loss too quickly. So sometimes when you get them to convert to a whole food plant-based diet, they still feel they can't eat too much because so so many people are so used to restricting their whole entire life. It's so hard to change that mentality that, no, you can eat almost as much as you want um, just to satisfaction, right? We don't want to overeat necessarily either, but they're so used to restricting that they go whole food plant-based and then they are still restricting, um, and then they lose a ton of weight very quickly, which is not necessarily good either. We want to lose slowly over time to, to maintain that long term. So, yeah, my father-in-law um, is in his 70s, and he was just diagnosed with heart disease and had a bypass surgery. Um, and before that though, I tried to convert him to whole food plant-based. We've been talking about it for years. Right. Um, but finally he was able to convert, uh, a couple months before his surgery, after he realized he was going to need surgery and he lost weight really quickly because he truly went whole food plant-based, no oil, like overnight and was losing a lot of weight quickly. And, uh, I was like, well, you're not eating enough. You got to eat more. Um, and he, and unfortunately he had a surgery and now he's back to some of his old ways, um, because that, that's mm-hmm. the natural thinking in America, right? You, like you can, you can fix the problem, but truly they didn't fix the problem. They fixed the problem temporarily. Um, there's a lot of other vessels in your body that are clogged and, and needing repaired. Right. And so, uh, so he's still a work in progress, but he's a, he's a perfect example where he was losing weight too quickly because he wasn't eating enough. He was used to restricting prior to that. So. And it's the, yeah. and it's the long game yeah. and it's the long game. It is. It's yeah. the long game. 
Yeah, yeah. getting that, getting yeah. and it's impressive. You said he was in his seventies, and he yeah, he's seventy five. Seventy five, and so in his household, was he making all his food? Was he just diving in himself, or did he have? Support? No, my mother in law was making okay. all the food. So they're um they're Indian. Uh, culture. And so um, they understand vegetables. They came from a country where they ate a lot of vegetables growing up, but oil is a huge thing in Indian cooking. And so um, it was quite a challenge getting her to take out the oil out of her cooking. Eating vegetables was not that big of a, a change, but getting the oil out and the small amount of meat that they did um, eat out uh, was very difficult. So we're still, we're, it's a work in progress. We're still working. <laughs> and also she that has high cholesterol also. So we're trying to, we're trying mm -hmm. to work on that. And that so. culture is dairy too. Yes, definitely. It makes you strong. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from my mother-in-law. I've heard my mother-in-law tell the kids that they need to drink milk to keep their bones strong. And I cringe every time. I'm like, no, no, that's not true. Is that when you take a few breaths and close your eyes? <laughs> I do. I do. I take a couple <laughs> breaths and close my eyes. Uh, my kids have not drank. Uh, they, that's the one thing that we don't have in our house any longer is, is dairy. So they have not um, drank cow's milk for many, many years. So, And uh, we have the high school coaches telling the kids that they need to drink milk to the runners. Um, that they need to drink milk. And it's uh, chocolate milk is the greatest recovery tool that there is. And I'm like, no, why would I want to feed them dairy and sugar? I don't quite understand. <laughs> well, for so. for people who don't understand that, because in the athlete world too, like there's still this kind of marketing around chocolate milk being the perfect recovery. Right. So mm -hmm. can you explain to us why um, perhaps you don't feel that way? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's such an inflammatory uh, food. It just causes inflammation and then all the sugar as well. So they're getting that quick replacement and then the natural crash later as well. Um, and then all the inflammation that comes with um, the exposure to dairy. So definitely there's so many better options that, ha that you know, are full of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, and all that to help with, with recovery. So um yeah. We see the whey protein in protein powders and things like that. And a lot of athletes um, right. who are maybe working on, you know, a macro diet, uh, they'll, they'll lean towards that whey protein. And is that the same? That's the same thing as dairy, right? Pretty much. Correct. Right. Right. I definitely would um, steer them towards a pea plant-based uh, protein replacement if they feel they need the extra calories and, and protein. So yeah, I mean, I do think that there's probably a place for um, plant-based proteins, um, you know, for some people, but definitely would not go the whey protein route for sure. So, And it is in so many things um, and people don't realize that it's in it or, you know, in the bars and things like that. So I think it's much better to make your own if you can um, make your own bars and energy balls and things like that to have um, instead of buying the over the counter ones. So, yeah. Well, I think it's a, I'll, you know, I was fell under that belief a long time ago that I needed chocolate milk and I was adamant, adamant about having that glass of chocolate milk after, after a workout. And even what you're describing with the uh, whey in food products, like you, you must, must read the ingredients in the late, in the, on the back of the packaging because the front of the packaging is so beautiful. And, and there's so many things you can say, like, a whole right. foods bar or, you know, this is pure right. natural. And there's things that are confusing. And, and in that realm, 
I just was misinformed. Like I didn't have the information. So it's so great that we're the three of us were on the other side of this and we have this information and we want to scream it from the mountaintops. But they, but it's so great that we have that relationship that we understand where people are. Like they're confused. There's a lot of information going Definitely. back and forth. You're saying, okay, this on nut butters and now people are going to listen to nut butters and they're going to be like, oh my God, we can eat nut butters as much as we want. So it's really back to what we were saying before, slowing down, get, you know, get educated and curious about what it is that you're reaching for with your hand and actually, you know, putting into your mouth. And I think we right. can, we can turn it around. Yeah. And it's not just not having the information, but being completely misinformed by people. Mm. You know, I have my son's coach at school telling him to drink milk. It's good for you. Like you're missing out. Um, and then I'm on the other end saying, no, it's so it's, yeah, it's not just not being informed, but getting lack of information that's out there. Um, and it is, it's all over the, the TV and the um, commercials about dairy and how, how good it is for you. I, it is changing. That's definitely changing. And I, I'm so happy to see some of the elite athletes out there that are plant-based now that are speaking up and spreading the word. So I think that it definitely is changing, um, in the right direction. It's just taking time. Yeah. So, so I want to, uh, I want to rewind just a little bit to talk about your progression into medicine and into lifestyle medicines. Um, so you went vegetarian when you, you know, before you left high school and then you met your husband and you went back and then you went plant-based again. <laughs> but, um, when, where did you go, you know, what was your experience in medical school as far as like nutrition and, and was it like, were you feeling conflicted? Were you feeling like you were getting what you needed? I definitely think that nutrition was uh, not a focus at all in medical school. In fact, I don't even remember any nutrition lectures per se. Um, I went to Loyola Medical School um, where we focused on a holistic healing and mind, body, spirit and all of that. But I don't remember much nutrition or even in residency. I definitely don't remember um, you know, being taught about hypertension and the main focus being what we're putting in our body to prevent hypertension. That definitely was not a conversation um, that was had. And in fact, now, so I teach uh, at a medical school um, and I will say even now it's not a focus. We definitely are trying to get it in the curriculum, but it's such a battle because the curriculum's already so full. And so it's very difficult, but um, I'll see students now and I ask, you know, to have they present to me on hypertension and uh, they don't mention diet at all in the treatment plan. And I'm like, um, did you ask the patient what they're eating and what could we do there? And then the general answer is they need to eat healthier. And I say, well, what does that mean? What does healthier mean? Um, and then when we talk about getting more potassium in their diet, they're like, um, where's, you know, what, what is that? Where do I what do I tell them to eat? And I'm like, fruits and vegetables. <laughs> it's still, so it's still missing and it's still not a focus. Um, and that's really disappointing to see. Uh, I do think that there are definitely schools that are changing and we're all trying to get all of us that are interested in lifestyle medicine are trying to change um, the curriculums, but it is, it's difficult. Um, so it's still a battle. So looking at a medical school curriculum, right? And let's say you're in charge. Like you're in charge. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you're going to put nutrition in. 
But what are you going to, what do you, what do you feel that, because you'd have to take something out. Like, what do you feel that these. Not see, not necessarily. I think that it just needs to be included. I don't think anything needs to be removed, but it needs to be included. So prevention and lifestyle should be the primary treatment, uh, the primary goal in every treatment plan, right? That, or the initial goal, um, initial part, right? So anytime I'm talking about a chronic lifestyle disease, like hypertension or high blood pressure or diabetes, uh, obesity, heart disease, um, certain cancers, um, the number one thing should be what is the patient's lifestyle? What do we need to fix so that we can try to halt the problem and to fix the problem? And then what medications do we need potentially to assist us while we're in the process of changing the lifestyle? So um, I don't think it's removing anything. And so that's what we have started to do a little bit of is introducing the lifestyle medicine into certain cases in the medical school curriculum. So rather than having a lecture specifically on nutrition or physical activity, it's putting those pieces into the treatment plan when we're talking about a case. So, um, yeah. Well, Dr. Clapper, isn't he, and he's now going to, to, to colleges and, oh, I think he's doing it through yeah. Zoom maybe. And and at least yeah, Dr. Clapper um, does a lot of speaking nationally and will speak at medical schools some. So um, great to see that happening because it definitely is a need. Oftentimes those tend to be lunch and learn type of things, though, is my experience from our school, which is not always well attended, um, which is unfortunate. So that's why I think it's really important that it's weaved into the curriculum as well, because all the students get that. Whereas sometimes when speakers come in, it's more of an optional. If you want to attend, you can. If you, you know, if you're, if you don't, that's fine too. So, um, yeah. I I feel like we've, there's like this plant-based, like these soldiers, these little Mm. plant-based soldiers. You're one of them. And like, we need more of them. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like getting into the curriculum. Like you guys are in the schools, like you're in the curriculum and Dr. Clapper's playing a role with his moving medicine forward. And you're playing a role with just bringing up this, you know, curiosity, like, well, you know, did you ask them what they're eating and things like that? So this, let's say this continues, which is going to continue. What's your what's your vision in ten years for what medical school curriculum looks like? Yeah, I, I mean, I think my vision would be that that you know the student presents to me, and that would be the first thing on their mind is you know what is the patient's lifestyle, and, and how am I going to help them fix that first? Um, that would be my vision. Would be all the students coming out um, are going to go out into their practices and their they're always going to ask about lifestyle um, to the patient and to find out if there's something they can help fix in order to help uh, treat the problem that they're there for so that the patient doesn't continue to come back over and over and over again just for the refill of medication, which really is not working. It is causing a lot of other problems as well. So, yeah, that, that would be my vision would be to have all physicians coming out with lifestyle being the number one thing that they're focused on with their patient. And what can patients do now to help move that forward too? I think asking their doctors about it when they go in for their visits is a, is a great place to start. Um, you know, when, when they go see their doctor and their blood pressure is high saying, well, doc, what else can I do besides take a pill? Is there something else I need to change? Um, so becoming informed themselves and then bringing it up with their physicians may help open their physician's eyes too. And they might think, oh, I didn't even think to talk about the diet because, you know, you have 10 minutes with a patient. So um, 
you know, they often don't have a lot of time to talk about some of those other things. But um, if the patient is going to ask, then they're going to think about that. And so sometimes it's just getting out of that routine again, just like, you know, eating animals. It was a routine and it was a habit and nobody thought about it. And so I think when doctors kind of stop and think, hmm, what can I fix that to prevent this problem and to actually treat the underlying cause, that that will help. So I think patients being well-informed uh, is important. So, and this is why they get to work with uh, all of you fine folks at plant-based yes, telehealth because they we get, love to see patients. They get more time, right? Definitely. Yeah. So we get to spend at least 30 minutes with every patient. Um, so um, that's the minimum appointment for me and they can spend as much time. I mean, they could do an hour, they could do a book an hour and a half. They, they could really book as much time as they really wanted to. Um, most people will come in and do a 30 minute appointment. We encourage a 60 minute appointment for our first patient for the first visit, just because there is so much history often to cover. Um, and so by the time we cover all the history and some of the treatments they've been on and some of the problems with those treatments and then cover, our recommendations for lifestyle, then that can take a lot of time. Um, so I really recommend that patients would spend an hour with us the first visit and really be able to get as much out of it as they can. Um, but we often will have some that just do 30 minute appointments and we can, we can help them too. So. And those are the seeds. Yeah. That's when you plant the seeds and you just keep watering them, watering them and, and hopefully yeah. it takes off. Yeah. What, what I've seen so far is most of the patients that are coming to us right now already know about a whole food plant-based diet they've heard about it they've watched the the movies they've watched some of the podcasts or um, youtube videos from some of the other physicians out there and so they're coming just for help so what i would really love to see is the patient who doesn't know much about it yet and i can educate and and teach that patient uh that's such a joy to see somebody's eyes open up to the fact that they have the power to help fix the underlying problem so um, that, that's my hope is that I start to see more and more patients that are coming to me for the first time, like just learning about it and so excited to, to start the journey. So. Yeah. So let's say you've got a patient that comes to you that is, um, you know, their, their brother's cousin said, Hey, go set up an appointment with this doctor and they don't know anything. And they've got either signs, symptoms or full blown, you know, these chronic lifestyle uh, diseases. What's kind of the first little tidbits you start to, you know, as BJ said, like start to plant those seeds? Like, what are some changes people can make immediately? Yeah. Um, I mean, it is hard for a lot of people to go 100% plant based overnight for sure. And it's almost always diet that I start with because that's probably the thing you notice the most change uh, physically from, I would say. And so I, a lot of people will say start small, start with something that's easy and easy start sometimes is breakfast because it's usually a quick meal. Um, it's something where you could just pick one thing that's plant-based that you might like and, and do that. Um, so it's converting maybe one meal that you think is the easiest and then slowly changing over time. If they're willing to take out dairy to start with, I think that could be a great place to start as well. Um, or maybe it's they're just, they're willing to make three-fourths of their plate fruits and vegetables and maybe a quarter animal beast. Um, and maybe that's a way to slowly transition out. So I like the idea of doing one meal, um, but sometimes it's more just eating more vegetables um, and less meat. So sometimes it's as simple as that. 
So if, if somebody's got the standard American diet, you're saying pull dairy off first. Like that's kind of your first and foremost. I think it's probably the easiest and dairy is such a culprit for so many issues. Um, mm -hmm. Just even like looking at adolescent girls and uh, it's just, it wreaks havoc on our bodies, I think with all the hormones and it, it's just not meant to be eaten by humans. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think dairy is a huge thing. Um, and it is, it's like, it's like so addicting. Oh. I think it's the hardest thing. I have to be honest. It's probably the hardest thing to remove for a lot of people mm -hmm. is cheese. So many people are addicted to cheese. Cheese is almost in like everything I feel like. So, uh, that's one of the hardest things, but I'll, probably they would feel the best if they could take that out right away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's powerful. I know that's your experience. You <laughs> yeah. had a tough time getting. But getting there are so many great replacements these days too. Like, I mean, so many of the plant-based milks taste fabulous. So I, I don't miss it at all. Um, and I think then just eating foods that don't naturally have cheese on them can be helpful. So avoiding some of the foods where you would miss the cheese in the beginning might be a good start too. So. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, we make pizza now and we don't, I, we don't even like cheese yeah. isn't even a factor, but, no. um, and I don't use any of the, uh, like plant-based cheese. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. We don't either, even though they offer them at some of the pizza shops, which is great. They have that here. I just don't, it, it, the connection it just don't taste good just to me. doesn't no. taste right. Once in a while we'll, um, we'll do a little Miyoko's mozzarella, but not every, cause that's so easy to be like, put it on like staple on the grocery list, but it's not health food. That's not health food. It's not, but it, it can be a nice transitioning uh, yes. tool for somebody going. And that's what I did with my youngest daughter who wanted to transition. And so um, we do use a few of those for her sometimes, not very often. Often I'll make my own cashew cheese. Um, but occasionally if she, yeah, if she wants pizza, we would do the, the, the plant-based, um, prepared cheese. Not, not too often though. How do yeah. you make, how do you make your cashew cheese? So I do the one, um, now I'm going to blank on their names, that, but it's, um, it's a blend of, and I haven't made it for a little while, so you'll have to, excuse me, I can't remember the exact recipe, but it's cashews and you grind cashews with, I think there's lemon juice in it and garlic and I think tapioca starch. And then you put that in a pan on the stove and boil it or like cook it over high heat and it turns into like a mozzarella type glob. Mm. And so you can use that um, for like pizza. So if we do a whole, whole wheat pizza crust and lots of veggies usually, and then we'll put a little bit of dabs of that around the pizza and sometimes she'll do that. Or she's done a grilled cheese like that with like whole wheat bread or sprouted bread and then put that in the middle and then like just dry grill it on a, a griddle. Yeah. So yeah. I know. it's funny. Like when you said like it globs up, it's like mm. whenever I see something like that. I know like, that doesn't sound very I know, but that's what it's, that's kind of what it's doing in your body, right? Like it's just kind it of. It definitely does. Globbing yes. up in your body. And I, I think the yeah. truth of this stuff is important because it's so easy to just pop it in your mouth and then not think about it, it again. It is. And so sometimes visualizing things like that can be really helpful to change eating behaviors as well. 
So like if I eat oil, I'm, I'm picturing my vessels and the oil coating the lining of the vessels. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing? So I think that can be a great strategy as well when people slow down and think about what they're actually doing. I do that yeah. as well. I mean, I'll so. go down and get, um, there's this amazing juice place right down the street and I'll get this juice. It's like carrot turmeric, orange. It's just the brightest, most gorgeous color orange you could ever imagine. And I drink it and I just imagine like my whole body is just almost <laughs> this like fluorescent orange. Uh-huh. It's so beautiful. Yep. So I do, th- so it's like, we can do, we can do it both ways, right? Like we can right, right. drink the green smoothie and, and imagine that our whole inside is like this gorgeous emerald green now, you know, or <laughs> we have the big glob of cashew cheese and we're like, okay, now that's in me too. <laughs> And awareness is huge because we live in a society that shuts us out from the truth of the food that we eat. And, you know, essentially, you know, we get sold these lies and beautiful packaging. And then the next thing you know, we're, you know, we're in the doctor's office or we're getting markers on our blood work that are concerning. And so... Well, and I think we lie to ourselves too. Like I I have so many nurse friends who have not transition to a whole food plant-based diet and they are very well educated. They know that a plant-based diet is much better for them. But I think we tell ourselves lies to make ourselves feel better and to be able to continue to do the things that bring us joy and enjoyment. Some of the foods that, you know, we've become addicted to and taste so great, we think until we know a better way. And then we realize that, you know, other things taste great too and much better actually. So, um, yeah, so I think we're we're good at lying to ourselves as well when it comes to health. Yeah, it's tough though because when you know the truth but you're not looking at the truth, you know, that that energy for for the lack of a better word is doesn't move you in a direction of pro health. It's very stressful to know what you're right. doing is right. not not only not good yes. for you, but it's it's not good for the animals. It's not good for the environment. Right. Um, yeah, Definitely. it's it's hard to know the truth and then not act in such a way, and it creates a burden. And those people aren't bad. It's not we're not here to punish not anyone, right. but. Okay. Have you had uh, patients who are waking up to this and they're dropping weight and they're feeling better and they're they're blood work is getting better, but perhaps they're like, they feel guilty for what they've done. Like in the past. For the past? Yeah, for the past. Like, um, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I no, ate like that. No, not, not, well, I definitely have patients who say, I wish I would have done this sooner. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. And I would say the same thing for myself. Like, I, I look at pictures of myself for 10 years prior, you know, and think, oh, I would have felt so much better. I think back to my residency days eating salads with chicken on top thinking it was a healthy choice and realizing it wasn't and I didn't it didn't help me feel better um so I think there's a lot of people who wish they would have done it sooner um for sure I had a gentleman the other day in his 60s and he's he's like I've never been so clear in my life and to have a 60 some year old say that he's never been so mentally clear in his whole life I'm like wow that's just amazing um because he's been whole food plant-based now for a while. And that's just so powerful to hear that. Um, so. It's beautiful. Like, does that, does that just make your heart sing when you hear something like that? It's almost it, it too does, much. And it just, it, it does keep me going um, because then there's, you know, you'll next you'll 
see a patient who can't stick to it. Um, and that just gives you the energy to keep, keep working with them and to keep encouraging them to keep trying to achieve. Cause it is, it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people to stick to a healthy diet yeah, for sure. Yeah. And people so. transition at different, at different rates and different times and different, uh, depending on their intimate community that they, that they live in. So having that Right. Compassion, right? Because you have one Definitely. success story, you want all success stories. Yeah. And it's compassion for yourself too, mm-hmm. when you aren't able to stick to it and getting right back on it again. Right. Um, I think the same thing applies to it, endurance athletics, right? Um, y- your head has to be in the game for you to do well. Um, so when it's not getting back um, and being compassionate towards yourself is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Being compassionate, like forgiving and just, okay, I did that. Now move forward. And I think the key of what you just said is get back at it. Just get back at mm-hmm. it. Every, every mm-hmm. moment is a brand new moment. It's a blank slate, right? you know, jump right. into it, get back at it. So important. Um, so if we have athletes who are interested in working with you or people who, like I said at the beginning, don't identify as athletes, but they're interested in finding out yeah. more or they're on their weight loss journey and it's just not working, how do they right. get more of you? <laughs> yeah, so they can find me at Plant-Based Telehealth and they can just go to our website to schedule their first appointment. Um, I believe I'm in about 12 states now, working on a couple more currently as well, but they're definitely, we have physicians in all 50 states. Um, so uh, if they have any interest, yeah, we would love to see them. Um, so yeah, so Plant-Based Telehealth. Wonderful. And awesome. they can follow me on Instagram as well. So oh, I, which I try to post uh, amyzacharias.md and I try to post almost daily just healthy meals that I've done at home um, or uh, inspiring quotes that I might see here and there. I'll, I'll repost. But yeah, so they can follow me on Instagram if they want to see my cooking at home. <laughs> awesome. I think we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to get behind the scenes. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, Thank you so much, Dr. Amy. We really appreciate your time. It's been such a pleasure to hear about your story and have you share all your knowledge. And, and, you know, you're, you are another physician who is helping, uh, you know, to shift these old ways of medicine and moving into prevention, but also somebody who's experienced their own transformation. So we certainly appreciate you sharing so generously with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. It was great to meet both of you. Thank you. This was, this was great. It was. <laughs> right.